Uh, well, today we are going to be in Luke chapter 15. Uh, we've been working through the book of Luke for a while, and uh, we've been in uh, Luke 15 looking at some parables uh, about lostness. And so uh, today we're in verses 11 to 32, which is kind of the third parable that Jesus teaches about what it means to be lost. This is the parable of the prodigal son, uh, which is one of those stories in the Bible that whether you are familiar with the Bible or not, everyone tends to know this story. Uh, whether you're part of the church, not part of the church, uh, the story of the prodigal son, of, of a son who takes part of the family inheritance, goes off on his own uh, in rebellion to make his way and then makes a mess of his life and then comes back. That is a story that most people uh, seem to know. In fact, uh, there are TV shows and movies and books all written with these same themes. It's, it's well known in our culture. But the truth is that uh, this parable is about much more than just the prodigal son. It's also about his older brother and it's most certainly about his father. And so that is going to be what we uh, look at today. We're going to see that this really is a, a masterpiece of insight into the lostness of the human condition, into the foolishness of trying to save ourselves, and into the gracious love of God. So I'm going to read through the whole parable, and then we're going to look at it in light of these three characters that we, that we see in it. So beginning of verse 11, the verses will be up on the screen. If you have a Bible, it's great to read along, but here is the parable of the prodigal son. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant and he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed and the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. 
That's God's word to us this morning. And I think we can see already that this really is a portrait of, of lostness or rebellion, but in two flavors, right? The younger son and the older son. So we'll start with the younger son, and I'm going to uh, sort of give you some ways in which he is lost, or that we see in the text that he is lost. The first is we can see pretty clearly he is lost in selfishness. It's, uh, it's pretty clear that he's lost in selfishness even before he leaves home, right? This is driving this shocking request that he makes to his father. Here's verse 12. Again, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. So this is basically him saying, look, dad, I don't, I don't really care that much about you. What I really care about is the things that you have to give me, the, the property, the savings, all the wealth, all the things that I would get when you die, but I can't wait for you to die. So I want you to give it to me now, and then I'm going to go away far from here, and I'm going to live life, and I'm going to be happy. That's, that's the request. It would have been a devastating request, I mean, to any father. First of all, it takes a big chunk of the family wealth and it kind of sends it off. But the worst part, of course, is that the son is saying, look, dad, I don't, I don't really love you. I love what you can give me. I want all of that stuff. That is what is going to make me happy. Not to be near you, not to be close to you, to be far away and just have your things. That's, that's what I think I need. This is very cold, obviously. But the truth that we should be seeing here is that we we tend to treat God like this fairly often. Uh, one of the things that I do as a pastor is I meet with people uh, very often at, at low points in their life. Uh, there's something that's happened, some sort of family tragedy, perhaps, family struggles, financial issues, health issues. And so that means that in the meetings that I have with people, there's oftentimes a lot of desperation, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. My job, though, as I see it, uh, to care for their soul, to care spiritually for them, is to try to discern, you know, what kind of desperation is present here? Is this, is this a genuine desperation for God himself, or are they just desperate for the things that God can give them? Because there's a world of difference between those two things. To be desperate for God is a life-giving endeavor. He is the source of, of life and joy and hope, but to be desperate just for the things that he gives is ultimately destructive because... Those things don't have in them what we really need. They don't have life and joy and hope in them. This has always been a, like a struggle for human beings. We don't tend to naturally love and trust God. In our sin, we tend to naturally love and trust the things that he, he gives us. Which I think is maybe why when um, Jesus' disciples were asking him, how do, how do we pray? Right? Teach us how to pray. And so Jesus teaches them the, the Lord's Prayer, is how we would call it now. But the first half of the Lord's Prayer is actually just all about us and God. It's not at all about the things that we might need from God. Uh, look, at, look at the first part of this prayer, verses 9 to 10 of Matthew 6. He says, pray this way. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Meaning, may your name be glorified and, and holy your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What he's teaching us, his disciples, is look, if you really want to connect with God, you need to first and foremost be interested in him. Have a heart for him. And from that relationship then, yes, there'll be blessings, but that's, that's the core of what it means to be a follower of God. But I think we know that those aren't the kinds of prayers that tend to bubble up within us naturally. Uh, when I kneel down in the morning to pray, the, thing, the, the words that tumble out of my mouth are all to do with me. 
like without even thinking about it, right? They're just pouring out, oh God, I'm stressed about this, I'm worried about that, Lord, can you help me with this, I'm, I'm really anxious, I'm, all of these things, and it, it's, it's the list that's in our head all the time of the things we need help with. And listen, uh, it's not a bad thing to ask God for help with these things in our lives. In fact, he tells us to come to him persistently over and over again for these things. But, but if that defines our relationship with God, then even if we are in church every Sunday, even if we're praying all the time, our hearts will still be far from him because we're not really interested in him. We just want the, the blessings, the things that he can give. And that means we will still be lost. We'll still be lost because our faith will, will have at its core a selfishness to us, that it's, that, it's all, that it's all about us. And this really is the lostness of the younger brother. But there are two more things that we see. I'm going to give, it, give them to you together because they kind of go together. In, in the younger brother, he is lost also in a desire for self-discovery and also in sinful indulgence. Those two things. We, we see that uh, in, his, in his, again, his request. I mean, clearly he's not happy at home. He doesn't feel fulfilled. He's not happy with his life under his father's roof. Uh, probably he feels restricted. Probably he feels like frustrated with his life. He's clearly disappointed with the life that he is living. And his answer then is, I need to go out and, and plot my own course for my life. Right? You can imagine him leaving the family homestead. He's got a bag of money in his hand and he's thinking, yes, th this is it. This is what I've been dreaming of. I just, I needed to go and find my own way and have the money to do what I want to do. And that is going to bring me the answer to this unfulfilled life that I've been living. And I think that's pretty familiar. I mean, that's, that's the water that we swim in, especially in our, in our culture, right? Our, our cities are filled with people who think to themselves, look, if I, could just, if I could just have the freedom and the resources to do what I want to do, then I would be happy. I remember hearing uh, a pretty extreme version of this. Uh, years ago, I was listening to kind of a podcast documentary about a hotel, an old hotel uh, in New York City. It's called the Sunshine Hotel. And this was uh, like a flop house. Uh, it was built, I think, in the 40s. It was around till, I think, the 90s. And it was a place uh, mainly for men to go where they were down and out. I mean, they were just almost on the street, but maybe had enough money just for these really crummy rooms, kind of like a hostel. It was all kind of broken down. And so uh, the person was doing a documentary because it was, the hotel was going to be torn down. So they went around. They were interviewing people, kind of hearing their life stories. But there was one person there that didn't really seem down and out. Uh, he was from Denmark. Uh, he had a good job in Denmark. He had a family in Denmark, a wife and kids. And so the interviewer was asking why he was here. And he was here because he, he had got it into his mind that what he really needed uh, about once a year was to just have a holiday of indulgence, to be able to go somewhere and just to explore his, his darkest desires. And so he had come to New York City to do heroin for two weeks. That was his plan. And then he was going to go back to his family, uh, which didn't happen because he got arrested on drug charges and, and was there for much, much longer. And I know that's kind of an extreme version, but that really is the essence of what we think as human beings. Look, if I could just have some time to myself, if I could just explore, you know, my own, whatever desires are, get away from all the restraints that are holding me back, then, then I would be happy. But it rarely turns out that way. Eventually, self-discovery and sinful indulgence ends in destruction and disappointment. It might take 
longer for some than others, but that's always where it ends. And that's, and that's what we see here in this parable. The younger son spends all his money. That's what the word prodigal means, to be spent, to, be, to spend lavishly, and it's, it's all gone. Uh, and then he finds himself in a, in a land where the fa- a famine comes, and so he is in a desperate situation. He hires himself out as a day laborer to the Gentiles there, and he ends up uh, taking care of the pigs, the unclean animals. Both of these things for a Jew would have been completely humiliating. But the worst part, I think, is in verse 16. Uh, it, it says this, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Now, I don't think the worst part here is just that he wants to eat pig food. I think it's the second, the second part. The greater tragedy is there's no one to care for him. He longed to be fed and cared for, and there was no one there. No one watching over him, no one caring for him, no one giving him anything. And I think that's instructive for us because in our sin, we tend to focus on the restrictions that come from following God. And there are restrictions, right? That The Bible is full of commands. There's at least 10 of them. And they are there and they do put boundaries on our lives. You should do this. You shouldn't do that, right? There's, there's instructions for us. But what we miss is the fact that these instructions, these commands are evidence of the fact that we have a God who actually really cares for us that he's giving us these boundaries, these instructions, because he wants us to live a life that flourishes, that grows. I mean, think of parenting, right? Love and authority, they go hand in hand. The only way that a child can flourish is if there's a parent there to establish rules and then love them enough to enforce those rules. Uh, it, it, it shouldn't be about control on behalf of the parent. It really should be about providing a sense of security and comfort for the child. I remember when the kids were younger, I'd come in, they'd done something wrong, and I'd, I'd be going to give them discipline. And so I would say to them, look, I, you're, you're not going to enjoy this, um, but I'm doing this actually out of love for you. Uh, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't discipline you, right? If I didn't love you, I'd just let you do whatever you want. I'd give you candy when I wanted you to do what I want, or screen times, or something like that. And it would be easier for me, be a lot less effort, but that, that wouldn't be love, See, the opposite of love isn't always hate. Uh, very often it's neglect or apathy. If you really love someone, you're going to invest. You're going to be involved. You're going to do the hard work of, of loving them well. And that's, that's what we see with God. But the lie of sin is that we would be better off on our own. But all that really means is that we would be exposed to the tyrannies of life with no one to really care for us. So my... My thought is that there's probably some of us here in this room that are feeling like the younger son. Feeling like what we really need is just to, to throw off whatever we feel is restraining us. Maybe we are young. Maybe it is our, our family, our parents. Maybe we're in a marriage that we just feel is suffocating. We just need to, to get out of here. We just need to do our own thing and go our own way. To you, I would say uh, at least three things. Number one, just so you know, uh, God is not interested in clones. He's, he's made us as unique individuals. So this idea of self-discovery isn't necessarily a, a bad thing if it's seen within the light of we are created by God for his glory. We are to glorify him in our own way with our specific gifts and interests and abilities. But yes, within the, within the confines or boundaries that he has given all human beings so that we might flourish and grow and actually walk in, in righteousness. So, so if you have the idea that God just wants a bunch of 
automatons doing the same thing all the way, that's, that's not it. He really does want you to, to grow in your unique ways and honor him with all that he's given you. Second thing is, uh, before you run away, I think it'd probably be a good idea to talk to some people in the church who have run away and come back. Because there are prodigals among us. People who at a certain point in their lives said, I just, I just need to get out of here, I need to run, and yet they've come back. It'd be interesting to find out why. If, if, if the hope and joy that they had, the plan for life was to get out of there, why, why would they come back? It'd be interesting to find out, find out what, they, what they learned when they were away. And thirdly, I'd say don't make the mistake of thinking that rules and love can't go together. They actually always go together. It, it's a mark of love that there are boundaries in our lives. So that's the younger uh, son. But now we get to the older brother, right? Younger brother clearly lost, but older brother, he actually is lost as well. But his lostness presents itself differently. It's kind of like a disease that presents itself differently in different patients. Uh, the doctor's job is to figure out not just what the symptoms are, but what's the root cause, right? There may be a, a patient that has kidney problems or lung problems, but actually it's, it's both tied to a certain kind of cancer. That, that then tells the doctor, well, here's how to treat this disease, but you have to know what's at, at the core. Uh, the older brother is kind of tricky like this. Uh, he doesn't get as much attention as the younger brother because he doesn't, you know, cause as much trouble, obviously. He doesn't disrespect his father. He doesn't ruin his life. He doesn't lose half the family fortune, uh, it seems like he is the faithful one, the good son. But if we look closely, we can see that his heart is just as far from his father and that he is just as lost in his sin. It's just a different kind of lostness. So here's his lostness, uh, again, in two parts. They kind of go together. You can see that he is lost in his pride and also lost in his self-righteousness. Those, those two things mark the older brother, pride and self-righteousness. And you can see this uh, in the interaction when he's outside, there's a big party going on, and he doesn't want to go in. He's angry. You have to understand, that would have been a very big deal. That would have been like a public humiliation for the family. All the neighbors are coming, there's a big party, and the older brother's like, no, no I'm not going in. Everyone would have been like, what is, what is going on? Very uh, disrespectful to the father. And the way that he speaks to his father is also very disrespectful. Look at verses 29 and 30. Uh, the first word there, look, that word... Uh, is a very condescending way to speak to your father. This is no proper son at this time would have spoken to their father this way. It's disrespectful. It's, it's like, I know better than you. But he says, look to his father. This many years, I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. You can see the entitlement. You can see the, he's all totally focused on all the ways that he has served the family and that all the things he deserves. And then he says, but when this son of yours, notice it's not this brother of mine, it's this son of, of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. You can imagine the guests coming into the party, overhearing this and thinking, what is going on? I thought he was the good one. What, why is he so angry? Right? This is, this is clearly revealing the fact that the older brother is, is also lost. He's also got a lot of hardness within him. Pride, self-righteousness. And just to give us a clear picture, like to understand why is he so very angry, we have, to look, we have to understand the details. It's not just about the party. Okay, what's happened here, when the younger son left, uh, the father uh, dispersed, in a sense, his inheritance. So the way it would have worked is that the older son would have got two-thirds of the family wealth, the younger son one-third. So when the younger son said, I want what's coming to me, 
The father would have had to liquidate a third of his assets, sell fields, sell cattle, whatever it takes, give him all that money. He's gone. The money is gone. And so the older brother in his mind was like, well, okay, but I still got my, what's mine? The two thirds. But now the younger son is back and he's back not as a servant. He's back as a son, which means that now he's entitled to another portion of what is left, inheritance. And the older brother's like, what? What? You're, gonna, you're cutting him in now? That's mine. You can see why he's... And it's mine in a sense like, I earned that, Father. I, I obeyed you. I served you. All of that is rightly mine. You can't give it to this schmuck. That's the translation from the Greek. <laughs> so in this moment, the older brother's hard heart towards his father is exposed, right? Up to this point, it was kind of... You couldn't really see it. But now when this happens we see that he also, isn't, he also doesn't really love his father. He's focused on the inheritance just like his younger brother. And so even though he was, he was close to his father for all of those years, even though he served him, he was a very cold and hard-hearted person on the inside. The, the, the pride and the self-righteousness had been festering within him. He, he was very clear about all the things that he was convinced that his dad owed him. And we need to understand that this also is a picture of us in our sin. In fact, uh, the church probably has a lot more older brothers in it than younger brothers. Because the younger brothers tend, tend to leave. The older brothers are those who, who do things right. Who, who serve. And they also are the ones who get very angry when God doesn't give them what they think they deserve. I came across a story from uh, Pastor Tim Keller. He tells the story of a woman in his church that was an older brother type. And so she, which meant she was a very faithful servant. I mean, for many, many years, she, she worked in the church, she was on staff for part of the time, served in ministry. She was the kind of person that was, was always actively involved, that you would go to her for anything. She seemed to have such a warm heart towards people and towards God. But in middle age, uh, she was diagnosed with a chronic illness. And it threw her into despair. Instead of responding with, with faith and with peace and with perseverance, she responded with fear and anger and anxiety. And the problem wasn't just the, the discomfort of the illness. The problem was that she had certain expectations about how God should treat her. That she felt like because of all her, her good service that, that this isn't what God should allow in her life because she had been faithful, she had been sacrificial, she had served and the older brother had done the same thing. And it seemed like they were both really close to God, so mature in many ways. But in fact, what was revealed when this hard thing happened was that they actually were far from God. They actually had hard hearts towards God. It wasn't, all of that service wasn't really about the Father or about God. It was kind of about them. And this is what pride does to us. Like it, it, it kind of almost secretly, subconsciously turns us in on ourselves and makes us have this impression that, that God owes us, people around us owe us because we've been so good. See, the younger brother had a hard heart towards his father and so his his answer was just to reject everything, break all the rules. I don't care. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. That was his lostness. But the older brother also had a hard heart towards his father, but his, his answer was to keep all the rules, to do everything well so that he wouldn't need his father. In fact, his father would owe him. And that's also us in our sin. Okay, both kinds of people are lost. But we should note that 
one of them is actually more destructive in a community. See, the younger brother causes a lot of trouble, a lot of drama, right? But it's usually centered on them. They're the ones breaking the rules. They're the ones going against, and there's tension, whatever it is. But the older brother actually causes a lot more hurt in families and churches because they seem mature, right? They seem spiritually together. They seem gracious on the outside, but inside, there's a pride that's growing, a self-righteousness that is festering. And what's happening is their heart is getting harder and harder towards God and towards the people around them. See, for me, some of the deepest wounds that I've experienced have been from those in the church that have been more the older brother types. Uh, people that I would have pointed to and said, that, that is an excellent example of Christian maturity because, because they were in, in many ways. They were, they were ready to serve, ready to help, full of wisdom. They knew, knew their Bible backwards and forwards. They were always serving, but then something would happen. Something that they didn't expect, something that went against their sense of what they deserved. Maybe they didn't get a position in the church that they wanted. Maybe someone wouldn't adopt their idea for a certain ministry. Uh, maybe someone would question them or push back against them. And then all of a sudden, there would be a very sharp response, a very hard response. They, they, would, they would be bitter. They'd be cold. And I remember when this first happened a couple of times, I was just like, what? I was so shocked. It's like, how could this good person be responding in this way with, with vindictiveness, with harshness, with coldness? How, how is this possible? But I realized it, later on I realized it didn't, it didn't happen all of a sudden. That, that hardness of heart, that bitterness was actually there all along. It was just waiting for a time to come out. And when it did, it hurt people. See, imagine, imagine for a minute if the younger brother when he's coming back towards the, the house, imagine if he'd run into the older brother first. Imagine what the older brother would have said. It's not difficult to imagine, right? He would have said, what are you doing here? You're, you're back now? After all these years, and I, I don't see any bags of money with you, it's all gone, isn't it? Yeah, you know you broke your father's heart. You know he wept for weeks when you left and he still watches the horizon for you and now you come back looking like a beggar You've lost everything and you expect to be welcomed back? No way, get out of here. You don't, you don't belong here. If that's the way you're gonna live, you don't belong here as part of the family. See, the sad truth is that there are many people who have left churches because of older brother types that, that have come down on them in this kind of way. And it's devastating. It's heartbreaking. And my only response for us as a church is, Lord, help us. Lord, help us not to treat each other this way. Lord, help us to remember all the grace that we have received and then to be able to interact with each other based on that, on that grace, not based on our records that somehow we think we've got our lives together, but that we are recipients of grace and we should, we should love each other in this way. Even, even when there's grievous sin, even when people are, their lives are falling apart, even if it's their fault, that we wouldn't be the ones to point it out. We would be the ones to point out the grace and mercy of, of Jesus. But there's actually a greater problem for the older brothers themselves. And that is that they, they tend to have very little insight into how lost they actually are. The younger brothers, it's, not, it's hard to ignore it. 
I mean, if you were eating with pigs, you know my life isn't the way I had planned, right? Clearly, I've made a mess of things. It's clear to everyone. It's clear to him. Whether he actually responds and, and goes back to the father, that's, that's another issue. But he can see, look, my life is a mess. But for the older brother, older brother types, their lives don't usually look like a mess. And so that means very often they're clueless to the lostness within them. And that's a real danger for them. It's a real danger for us to have this idea that we, we really don't need God that much, that we kind of have it all together. Older brother types tend to be uh, rarely broken by their sin, rarely desperate for God. But the truth is that they need him. We need him just as much as the younger brothers. Now, the, the point Jesus is making here is not really a point of comparison. He's not really saying, look, one is worse than the other. What he's really trying to show is that both of these tendencies exist within us, and both of these tendencies, maybe we lean towards one or the other, but both of them have the seed of self-destruction within. That, that both of these approaches, right, that we would go off on our own, follow our own desires, our own ideas, you know, out there in the world somewhere, that's where, where hope and joy and peace is found, or that we would look within. If I can just muscle it out and be good, then I will have a sense of peace. Both of those things he's saying, you're, you're going to still be lost. To truly be found, we need to know God. We need to know the grace and love of the Father. So let's turn to him, our third character. The father. Now, in both cases, it is the father who takes uh, initiative so that his sons would have the opportunity to experience his love. That's what I want to focus on. Just one thing with the father. His loving initiative in the lives of his sons. Now, the most obvious uh, example is when the younger son is running back to the father, right? I mean, or sorry, right, he's walking, I guess. And then the father runs. The father sees him from a long way off. Clearly, the father's been waiting for him. Here's verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him, felt compassion, ran, and embraced him, and kissed him. So even though the younger son had squandered everything, even though all was gone, there's no bitterness, there's no anger, there's no I told you so, there's only compassion and love. He hugs him, he's affectionate. When the younger son begins his speech, you know, I'm sorry, father, I'll just be your servant, the father doesn't even listen to him. He says, bring the robe, bring the ring treats him immediately as a son, restores him, and there's a big party. This is all clearly meant to represent the affectionate, gracious, sacrificial love of God shown to us in Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus, the hope that God brings to all those who are lost in the world, and it's articulated beautifully in Ephesians chapter 1, 5 to 8. Paul writes this, he says, in love, he, that is God the Father, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Ladies, it's good to be a son in this case. It means you, are in, you have an inheritance coming to you, just so you know why it's that phrase that way. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which, with he, has, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. What's clear here is that all of this is happening because of the loving initiative of God. That he is the one who saves us. He is the one, if you look at the beginning, he's the one who even predestined us, planned for us, his children, to be welcomed back into the family of God through the cross. We even see this in the parable. 
We see this loving plan of God in the actions of the father. Even before, he runs to his son there on the road. Way early on at the beginning, he still is taking initiative. Because think of this. When the young son asks him for his inheritance, isn't the obvious question, why would you ever give that guy some money? I mean, the father must have known his character. He must have known what was going to happen. You give him all this money, he's going to go, he's going to blow it. He's going he's to wreck his life. He's going to engage in all sorts of sin. So why would a father do that? Why would you, why didn't he stop him? Or at least make it harder for him to leave? And the answer is because he wanted to save his son. He wanted to save his soul. See, he knew that just keeping his son close to home wouldn't save him. He, he, he knew that his son's heart was already far away. Even if he made him stay there on the family farm, his heart was far away from the father. Already hard. The only possibility of getting him back was to allow him to go down a path of destruction and hope that before he reached the end, he would turn around and come back. He was taking initiative in his son's life. He wasn't pushing him out of the house, but he also wasn't chaining him up. See, as parents... It takes, it takes wisdom and love to navigate this tension with our children as they get older. But the goal, the guiding light of a loving parent is, is what is best for my child's soul. Not, not what makes me feel at peace. Not what helps me to sleep at night. Because all parents would love our kids to stay at home. Don't, don't go do anything risky, anything difficult. Don't rebel at all. But, but the question really for us is what will help me to reach my child's heart with the gospel. Sometimes, sometimes that means closing the gate. But sometimes it means opening it wide and praying for them as they run in the wrong direction. This is how God takes initiative in our lives. By sometimes allowing us to experience the disappointment and heartache that comes from going our own way, that comes from indulging, engaging in sin because he knows that it's not until we come to the end of ourselves that we will truly be able to receive his love and his grace and his mercy. And so I wonder, I wonder if he's been letting some of us run in the wrong direction for a while. If that's you, don't be too stubborn to turn back to him. And don't believe the lie that when you do turn back, he'll reject you. He won't. His arms are open. His grace and mercy is abundant. That's the whole point of, of the gospel. We can't sin too far or run too far. He's always right there waiting for us. But amazingly, he doesn't, he doesn't just reach out in love to the younger son. He also shows loving initiative to the older son, the one hard-hearted and prideful right next to him. Look at the uh, interaction when the older son's kind of having the temper tantrum. Verse 28, he was angry, refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. So he didn't, he didn't rebuke him. He didn't lay into him. He spoke softly to his older son. You can imagine him there saying, son, come, come in. Your brother's back. Let's, let's celebrate. It's a good thing. He was trying to appeal to his, to his older son. And then the older son gives that big rant about all the things that he, he deserves. And look again at verse 31. His father said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. You can just picture him saying, like literally pointing to the field. This is all in your name. It's all to be yours. He responds not again with harshness, but with generosity, with love, with grace. 
And it's interesting, we don't actually know how the older brother responds in the end. It's kind of a cliffhanger, right? The last line is verse 32. Uh, the father simply says, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And we're left wondering, you know, what, what is the older brother going to do? Which seems kind of strange un unless you remember who he's speaking to. Remember at the beginning of chapter 15, it's the Pharisees and the scribes that are giving Jesus a hard time. Uh, because, you know, he's, he's welcoming tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus tells this parable, and it's as if he's saying to them, yes, there are a lot of younger brothers out there. A lot of people who have run headlong into sin, made a mess of their lives, and I've come to welcome them in. I've come so that they know there will be grace and mercy in the kingdom of God. But there are also those out there that are self-righteous, that are full of pride like you, the older brothers, Will you not recognize your need to be found just like the younger brother? Or will you remain lost in your stubbornness outside of the celebration of God? Bitter, angry, alone. This is, this is the question that's left hanging there. You can imagine looking at the Pharisees in their piousness. And the same question is for us. Right? Will we remain in our pride and stubbornness or will we humble ourselves before God? and receive the grace and mercy that he brings because, because that is what it means to be found. What is the difference between being lost and found? It's that we are humble before the Lord, that we see our need for Christ, and that we actually receive the love and the grace that is available to us in the cross. And so that is my, gonna be my closing prayer for us, that wherever we are on that spectrum, that we would see our need and that we would be found by his grace and mercy this morning. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, the truth is that we can get lost in so many ways. And that for some of us, there's a tendency towards just throwing it all out the window and going our own way. For others, we're just so good at following your rules, we feel like we've earned a lot. Lord, I pray that you would help both of us to see that we are, we are lost in ourselves. We're lost in the world, that we, we need you. And that you have shown, shown such grace to us that you, you had take initiative in our lives. Even, even before, we even at a place where we, we knew that we needed you, you were at work. And Lord, would you help us to see that? Would you bring a humility that comes only from your spirit so that we would, we would lay bare before you all the ways that we've tried to make things right on our own and failed? Lord Jesus, I pray we would see you for who you are, so loving, so gracious. I pray if there are people in our lives, Lord, that are, that are seeking to run and, and we need wisdom to know how to love them, how to, how to know when to, to put the fences up higher or when to open the gates, how to, how to love them in such a way that we would seek to reach their soul, not just trying to make them conform in a superficial outward way, but that we would really reach them with the love of Christ. Give us that wisdom, please. And may we also live in a way that exemplifies us, that shows the world that we haven't made much of our lives, but you have, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.